Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. To a Roddenberry podcast. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today for early access to episodes, virtual hangouts, and more. Patreon.com slash Mission Log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 389, Behind the Lines. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we strive to look at every drop in the vast ocean of Star Trek and experience a greater link in the morals, meanings, and messages so that we can become what we understand. This week, Behind the Lines, the one where change is inevitable, where loyalties are redefined, and most importantly, where Saurian brandy is still really, really difficult to procure. But before all of you can become one with John in the great link of trivia, here are all of the ways you can find us across all of our subspace channels. Mission Log is a conversation about the stories of Star Trek, so that's why we want to hear from you. Use Mission Log Pod to give us a like and a share on Facebook and Twitter. If you're so inclined... Give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can call us on Skype at Mission Log Pod or by dialing 323-522-5641. Send us an email at missionlog at roddenberry.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Now, I have to be honest with all the viewers. I've been having a little trouble of late trying to focus. So the best way to find clarity, in my opinion, right now is for John to link with me and all of you with this week's trivia. Well, here we go. Let, let, let's link through trivia. This episode was written by Rene Echeverria, a longtime Trek contributor. The last time we covered one of his episodes was Children of Time. That was toward the end of last season. He wrote the teleplay for that one, but prior to that, he got the full credit for a simple investigation. Also worth pointing out here, since this is the first time we've talked about Rene in the sixth season, he got a promotion between season five and season six. He went from producer to co-supervising producer, which he was indeed doing uh, more of that, really working in a similar capacity to Iris Stephen Bear and others, which means helping to nurture and guide the writing work being done by others on the staff. And this is one of those stories, one of those episodes, uh, even in Renee's capable hands, that had a difficult time finding its way to TV. Here we were in the middle of a long arc, and we already discussed that the last two shows were shot out of order, and that 
caused some confusion among the writing staff, uh, having to, you know, burn the midnight candles to catch up with each other. And Rene had to create what is really a transitional piece. So two different ideas for the storyline with the Defiant were explored and ultimately dropped in favor of spending some time with Cisco and then a, a deeper look at what's happening on DS9. Uh, uh, sorry, I mean, uh, Tarek Noor. So many ideas were developed, but then dropped. And then we'll have to see where those resolve themselves a little bit later. Behind the Lines was directed by LeVar Burton. It's great seeing LeVar here. It's worth pointing out that of all the Trek actors who turned into directors, LeVar holds the record for the most episodes of Trek directed. DS9 is the series where he spends the longest of his time in the director's chair with 10 episodes to his name. This one is the eighth on that list. The previous episode of his that we discussed was Soldiers of the Empire. I hope we all noticed that pretty obvious little in-joke sign when Rom opens up an access door in the DS9 crawl space, uh, the one that's prominently marked A51. Kind of funny for a guy who spent some time at Roswell along with the little green men. Let's talk about guest stars. Well, what do you know? It's a week of returning guest stars, which makes total sense within this long-form arc. Uh, you know the regulars, Mark Alimo, Aaron Eisenberg, Jeffrey Combs, Max Grudenchik, Casey Biggs, and of course we have Barry Jenner back as Admiral Ross, who we do have that hasn't been around in a while, is Salome Jens. And you may remember that she is the female changeling who we last saw in the season four episode Broken Link, in which Odo was transformed into a solid they might have some stuff to work out in this episode. In the hands of the female changeling, the power of suggestion is really kind of disturbing. I will arrange a demonstration shortly. You have been warned. Prologue. On Starbase 375, the ever-resourceful Nog pours several tumblers of Saurian brandy for Captain Sisko, Dax, and Bashir to toast their most recent mission into Dominion space. Moments later, Chief O'Brien enters and hands Captain Sisko a spent phaser power cell, which he places on a rack next to several others, in concert with a speech as to how it and his crew will never stop fighting until the fighting is done. Sisko's celebration, however, is cut short by the appearance of Admiral Ross, who has recently been informed by Starfleet Intelligence that a Dominion sensor array has been located in the Argolis Cluster, which has allowed the Dominion to stay tactically ahead of the Federation during the war. It is up to Captain Sisko and the Defiant to eliminate that advantage. Meanwhile on Terok Nor, Rom and Major Kira stand atop the second floor of Quark's Bar, clandestinely observing an understandably paranoid Damar, who, thanks to Rom's pickpocketing skills, misplaced his datapad containing a plan to systematically eliminate the Jem'Hadar from the station by poisoning their remaining supply of Ketracel White. Earlier, Rom left Damar's pad for the Jem'Hadar to easily find, and once they did, tracked down Damar to Quark's, where now accusations turn to violence as a riot ensues. Score one for the resistance. Act 1. 
As the chaos in Quark's bar subsides, Goldicott and Wayun are embroiled in accusations towards each other as to who is responsible for the violence which caused several fatalities on both sides. However, knowing that the eyes and ears of their soldiers are on them, Wayun suggests that solidarity is the only recourse they have to maintain the illusion of trust between their forces. As both Wayun and Dukat put on airs of diplomacy and solidarity, they collect what is left of their men and depart, while Odo remains to maintain the detente between the straggling Cardassians and Jem'Hadar. Back on Starbase 375, Captain Sisko briefs Admiral Ross on his risky and unconventional plan to attack the Dominion Array through the Argolis Cluster itself. Ross is gravely concerned about Sisko's plan due to the unstable and violent gravimetric forces within the cluster. But Sisko assuages the Admiral's fears, explaining that Commander Dax has his every confidence and the necessary skills needed to navigate the Defiant through the cluster for not only a frontal attack, but one with the daring that the Dominion would never suspect from the Federation. Back on Tarak Nor, Kira meets with a very irate and bewildered Odo, who confronts her with disbelief that she went behind his back with the plan to incriminate Damar. Kira accuses Odo of being more concerned about defending his position on the station's ruling council than the success of their resistance movement, slighting Odo's loyalty in the process. But as they try to resolve the tension between them, an all-too-familiar figure from Odo's past enters unannounced. It is the female changeling. Act 2. After brusquely dismissing Kira, the female changeling explains that she has been trapped in the Alpha Quadrant ever since the minefield was activated, blocking the wormhole. Odo quickly reminds her that he hasn't forgiven her for the punishment he received at her behest. She insists that is all of the past. All is forgiven, and it is time to move forward. She also confesses that she's not as concerned about the current state of the war as she is of Odo's unwillingness to return to his people, reminding him that he belongs with his own kind. Back on Starbase 375, Admiral Ross meets with Captain Sisko for yet another important assignment. It appears that the Admiral's adjunct, Captain Bennett, has been promoted, leaving the Admiral to find her replacement. And it's Captain Sisko. But accepting his new position means that he must now turn over the Argolis mission and the Defiant to acting Captain Dax. After finishing a meeting on the station's ruling council, Dukat, Wayun, and Odo are surprised by the arrival of the female changeling. Dukat welcomes her with his usual complimentary banter. However, she brushes his pleasantries aside and demands to know why the minefield is still active. Dukat assures her that it is no matter, as his forces are still winning the war. But she wants the minefield down immediately. Finding Dukat and Wayun jockeying for her approval exhausting, the female changeling asks to walk Odo back to his quarters. Once there, Odo reminisces about the lessons he learned when they first met. And the female changeling cannot help but notice Odo's feelings for Kira are torturing him. And he confesses that his feelings for Kira overwhelm him in ways that he cannot comprehend. The female changeling offers Odo to link with her, and as he does, as a way to find the clarity he needs to move forward in the way only their kind understands. Act 3. Looking for Odo in all the wrong places, and after a brief yet biting exchange with Damar, Kira finds Odo in his quarters, just as Damar said. Odo seems different to her somehow, content and contemplative. He confesses that he linked with the female changeling, enraging Kira, because the female changeling could have learned about their resistance movement through the link. But Odo assures her that the link isn't about exchanging information, as it is more abstract in its understanding. Kira sees it as pure manipulation, while Odo tries to convince her 
that perhaps he can somehow prove to the female changeling through the link that the Federation poses no threat to the founders. Trying desperately to understand, Kira asks Odo to promise not to link with the female changeling again until the war is over. On the Defiant, Commander... Correction. Captain Dax is making final preparations for the Argolis mission. Sisko visits the bridge of the Defiant and takes one last look around, reminding Dax that when this is all over, he wants his ship back. After disembarking and returning to his office, Sisko watches longingly as the Defiant speeds away. Back on Terak Nor, an incredibly chuffed Damar strides into Quark's and demands Kanar, but not just from any bottle, the 27, a rare and reserved varietal for very special occasions, such as his promotion to Gull, earned in full thanks to his idea that, in his estimation, will change the course of history. And like any good bartender, there's nothing like a free drink, or several, to loosen the lips that hold back secrets. Several drinks later, and stumbling into the midst of a resistance cell meeting, a severely intoxicated Quark confesses his contempt for the Cardassians and the Jem'Hadar, but more importantly, he unveils Damar's secret plan, a plan that will allow the massive Jem'Hadar fleets to invade through the wormhole, a plan to successfully destroy the minefield once and for all. Act 4. As Quark sobers up, he quickly remembers what Damar said about destroying the minefield with a defector. No, 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 that doesn't sound right. And why is everyone looking at Rom? No, 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 not defector, deflector. Rom realizes that Damar is right. If reconfigured properly, the station's deflector array can create an anti-graviton beam, which would prevent the mines from self-replicating when destroyed. There's only one way to stop this from happening. Rom has to sabotage the array without anyone noticing. And there's only one way to prevent anyone noticing. Odo has to take the station's alarm offline with a security diagnostic at exactly 0800 hours. But the plan is still solid. The timing is critical. What could possibly go wrong? Meanwhile, on Starbase 357, Captain Sisko and Commander Worf share a brief yet somber communication, both worrying about Dax and the Defiant, gone now for over 16 hours. Sisko reassures Worf that Dax will make it back, and more importantly, will not miss her own wedding. Shortly after, Admiral Ross stops by and orders Benjamin to get some rest, to stay sharp and focused. Order or not, Sisko tells Ross that until the Defiant and Dax are back home, how can he sleep? However, the Admiral makes it very clear that if the Defiant returns, more missions will be required of her and her crew, and without Benjamin as part of them. In Oda's quarters, his once contemplative demeanor has turned to insatiable curiosity. With each passing question, instead of fumbling with the clumsiness of mere words, the female changeling offers a more intimate way to satisfy all of Odo's urges. She offers to link with him, but Odo is reluctant, as he confesses that he promised Kira that he wouldn't. But what of Odo's wants? And what of Odo's needs? she asks. And what is Rom doing with a basket of fruit at Kira's door? Lest anyone forgets, the plan to deactivate the deflector away is underway, as Rom and Kira make their way to a Jeffries tube where Rom gets into position, waiting for Odo's security diagnostic. There is one small problem, however, when Kira arrives at security. Odo is nowhere to be found, and as she frantically tries to hail him on comms, Odo is enraptured with a female changeling as they are joined in the link. Act 5. 
With only one minute to save Rom, Kira bolts past Amar. But it's too late. As Kira tries to warn Rom to abort and escape the Jeffries tube, the clock strikes 0800 and security alarms blare across the station. Damar and his enforcers scramble through the promenade, only to find Rom's location quite easily as they pull him from the hatch opening and take him into custody. As the Defiant finally returns to Starbase 375, we see that the ever-resourceful Nog is pouring several tumblers of Saurian brandy for Admiral Ross and Captain Sisko, who now proudly watch from the sideline as acting Captain Dax has been handed the proverbial baton in the form of a spent phaser power cell, which she places on a rack next to several others, in concert with a speech as to how it and her crew will never stop fighting until the fighting is done. Back on Terak Nor, a beyond furious Kira storms down a corridor. Reaching Oda's quarters, she slams her fist several times on the door's control panel. Upon entering, she bears down on Oda with equal parts rage and disbelief, demanding to know what happened and why he forgot to do his part of the plan. Calmly, evenly, and dispassionately, Oda looks at Kira and tells her that none of this is any matter to him. Not anymore. Not after experiencing the link. He tells her it's hard to explain. But Kira understands completely. He's a changeling. She's a solid. And that is the reality now, even after all that they have been through these past five years. And after Kira leaves in a fog of disbelief and disappointment, the female changeling appears from behind a wall, wondering if Kira's words upset Odo, to which he replies, No, not really. The end. Well, thank you for that recap, Norman. And, you know, I know that we brought it up uh, before when we first saw it, but I, I have to say again that I like seeing constant returns to a Federation starbase. It's comforting and familiar, and I've just always loved that model of regular one, or, or as you may remember it before, the orbital office in uh, motion picture. I actually think I like that version of it the best when it was upside down or right side up, mm, yes. <laughs> you know, and still had those long cylinders attached. Uh, but yeah, but it, it's just cool. And it, it's interesting how the interior feels so different because we spent the last five plus seasons on Deep Space Nine. So now we have this different aesthetic that we spent some time in. Lower ceilings, even more so than on the Defiant. Small rooms, but it's tidy and it's sleek and a different color palette. Lots of good rooms with a view as well, looking out into the stars. So it's just cool. This is cool to see mm. that, you know. Great places for you to watch your ship and your crew leave without yeah, you. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you're mm -hmm. into such a thing as Cisco is. Mm -hmm. And... You mentioned it, uh, sorry, and Brandy. They even got the bottle. Yes. So it's my understanding that, well, first of all, I need yeah. that because I don't yes, have one. right. Yeah. All right. And I think that when I was scouring eBay for it, it's, uh, it's a George Dickel whiskey bottle. That is correct. Bottle. Yeah, they did a couple of different sizes, okay. but it was uh, a decanter mm -hmm. that they made. 1964, yeah. I believe. So cool. Yeah. I love how the writers carve out all of these really neat scenes just to give Nog's characters just a little more layering. Yes. Yeah. Because... That whole, like, I'm a Starfleet cadet, but I'm still a Ferengi. Yeah, I think that's neat. You know, yeah. it's he hasn't lost all of his, uh, you know, his uh, 
bag of tricks. Right, I guess. right. Uh, although, look, I mean, I, I will say that as much as they give him and, and they make him the gopher, but they give him some abilities as well, that I, I felt like O'Brien took a cheap shot at him <laughs> later, just saying, like, you know, mm-hmm. by the time you get to be captain, that means nobody else will be left. Like, well, come on. <laughs> I mean, he's... <laughs> He's part of the team here, man. Like, uh, how about being a little uplifting? Yeah, I think it's kind of like uh, maybe it's uh, gallows humor yeah. or like humor that guys have in the trenches. I kind of took it as like O'Brien's like a non-com. He's kind of like the working man's you know soldier, sure, and sure. you know he's like, oh come on, man. If 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 it's gonna be you, yeah, yeah. we're dead. We're dead already. <laughs> really. <laughs> Now, it, it was a, a, at first kind of funny, but then obviously poignant as well, this thing about constantly bringing in the phaser array power cells into the, uh, the little mess hall stroke bar that they've got there. I do like that prop. I think it's cool looking. It's got some heft to it. Uh, but my question is, do they, do they replicate more of them? Like, do they ever need the pieces off of those that are spent? And, and how often do they get just used up? Like, it, it just seems like a part, <laughs> but I, I guess you can only use it so much, though. And what happened to recycling in the right, 24th century? Right, right. have a wall full um, of them. I know that's kind of like jumping later on in the episode when Dax, you know, she recreates her own version yeah. of this yeah. uh, this tradition. But I love how, like, when Cisco does it, he goes all the way to the end of a long line of these casings and puts the one that, that the chief gave him at the very end of yes. that line. Makes yeah. sense. When Dax does it, she puts it, like, at the second level, in the middle of all those. I, yeah, I wondered about and, that. And my, my OCD was triggered so hard <laughs> when I watched that. I'm like, why? It's it kind of like, maybe it's like a, a new, you know, like, it signifies, like, a new like uh, layer of it, Dax's layer. Uh, I, I don't know. See, I, I just felt like this was the kind of thing that was going to happen from no matter who is in command, maybe stopping at that starbase and it it drove me insane too and i kept thinking like did they have to do that to get the shot that they wanted no no they didn't they could have just put it in line with the other (laughs) keep some symmetry i know just a small tracking shot it literally was like inches away from the other one so you could use the same you know tracking dynamic as that first scene and it would bookend that scene because it's it's dax's turn to do the right 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 i totally totally get you and i want that prop now that that made my herbert lom eye twitch <laughs> happen again yeah. <laughs> nice to see that admiral ross is now in the style yes. you know, he's, he got the memo yes they finally right. got the new uniform because cool. i made mention of it when we first saw admiral ross he was wearing the old admiral uniform and now he looks super cool and yeah. you know uh he, it just worked for him. It's a, a cool uniform. And now I, I will say at the beginning of the episode, and that's it's not definitely not the longest uh, teaser segment that we've had, but there's a lot of information that gets across in that oh, yeah. teaser. And I love the conceit of Rom stealing Damar's pad and the resistance getting some juicy information. Like that, this is such a cool idea and using that against Damar and just sort of sowing the seeds of discontent among those ranks um the scene though it it was an odd choice the scene with kira and rom watching it unfold if it wasn't performed so well and shot so well it would really just feel like a lot of obvious exposition but the way they did it, it, it fits this like film noir style, so I give it a pass. Mm-hmm. But it just seems very unrealistic in context. I got that too, and then I was like, 
well, I was looking at it a different way. Like, why are they doing this scene? And it kind of felt like she was reading aloud what is on Damar's path yeah. as opposed to like narrating the scene. And I was like, okay, but it's one of those, you know, uh, on a dark and stormy right. night. <laughs> right. Right. You know, you know, what's he doing there? You know, he's been walking the beat so hard. He sidles up to the bar and asks the bartender, what do you have? Yeah. And, you and, and by the way, Kira and Rom, you are the resistance. Keep it quiet. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I understand you're on the second level of quarks and you're just talking to each other, but even just being there and talking about it is probably not a great idea. You want to be somewhere else far away while this unfolds. Yeah, and knowing that like the resistance cell is like what four or five yeah. of them stay away from each yeah, other, yeah, yeah, in, like yeah. separate areas of the yeah. room. It's called plausible <laughs> deniability, people. Let's uh, exactly. let's look into it. Yeah, and the end of that scene though, uh, Wei Yun telling Dukata, "Our men need to see that we're still allies." Smile and then keep smiling at the end. It's just it's peak Wei Yun, and I love it. You can see it in his eyes. It's he acts so well with his eyes. Him yeah. and and uh, Andrew Robinson. You could just see a lot going on behind yeah. there. Like, Wei Yun's kind of like, oh, if I don't do this, I don't do this, and they're, they're going to be mad at me. And, you know, like, oh, yes. okay, diplomacy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Now, I, we do get introduced to the female changeling again, and she says that she's been in the Alpha Quadrant this whole time and, and stuck from going back because of the, the array of mines in front of the wormhole. And I'm thinking, what have you been doing this whole time? <laughs> Just like... Hanging out, like, uh, today I'm going to be a chair on a starship, and then some other time I'll just be a piece of space dust floating around. Like, where where has she been? What has she been doing? Who knows? When you have, like, the, the ultimate power of a chameleon mm -hmm. in every possible sense of the word, why aren't you gathering intelligence? Yeah, right. Or is it beneath her? Is it beneath oh, her? Oh, maybe. Could be. But she's been disconnected from the link this whole time, too. So, you know, it, it seems like gathering intelligence would be useful. But I, yeah, it's a very strange question. I always thought that maybe she was, you know, had this really interesting backstory that she would tell Odo. She's like, no, nah, I'm just here because, you know, the door's closed and I can't open it. Yeah. All right. right. So, mm. yeah. We got a tease with Admiral Ross saying something to Cisco about the Bolian operation. And I so want to know what this is. Like, I, I know that it's a, a, an ongoing kind of cheap joke, but if it has anything to do with cutting hair, I am so in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> bring back <laughs> the barber just for this, the Bolian operation, whatever it is, I want to know it. It deserves its own graphic novel. Well, first of all, I'm going to do you one better, John. It's going to be called the Bolian operation affair. Mm, yeah. Oh, even better. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And secondly, wouldn't it have been amazing if, say, like Mr. Mott was to the Enterprise as what Garrick is to Deep Space Nine. Ooh, oh, that's good. You think oh, about it. You tell really everything good. to your barber. Yeah, I smell a novel. Um, <laughs> I, oh, I, you mentioned Jeffrey Combs, Wayun, and I, I do have to say that I, I just, you know, you were talking about his eyes, and I love his body language when he encounters the female changeling. It just the kowtowing, and then his eye contact changes so often. Mm -hmm. Like he looks away and and kind of tilts his head away. It's gold. Just every moment of that. It's not just the words. It's everything that he embodies in that scene. Yeah, the mastery of his nuances mm. is second to none. Yeah. And it wasn't written for him, but you can see in his eyes, like, shut yes. up, Descartes. Yes. You are embarrassing me in front of my friends. Yes, yes. Right? <laughs> uh -huh. 
Now, one thing that I found interesting was when Kira walked into Odo's office at the very beginning because I never thought that he would try and gaslight Kira. And that's the way I took oh. it. Because he's like, how dare you go behind my back? And I love how Kira always kind of likes defense herself. Yeah. It's like, well, wait, you chose to go that way. We, the three of us, that's a majority decision, chose to go this yes. way. Yes. So we're all part of the same team. So why are you getting in my face about all this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Odo needs to be put in his place uh, every now and then. And I think Kira is just the person to do it. Look, I think we both loved uh, Kanar with Damar. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that just that that deserves to be its own show at a certain point. Exactly. But I, I do love how Quark is coming around, though. Like this is a moment of growth for Quark. He wants his root beer, man. And his ice cream, and too. And his ice cream. I, I like how they made it a point to to show how expensive the 27 was, but mm-hmm. would it have been even more expensive would have been, say, the 47? Oh, yes, of course. The 47 was a much better year, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, definitely. Let's see. Well, we, we missed a reference to 47, but at least we had the contractual obligation appearance by Worf. Also, again, with that weird off-angle 3D sensing comms computer, <laughs> you know, that just because he's looking off at a weird direction from the cat. It, it's it's just strange. But this is one, and I don't want to make this, you know, I don't want to be, you know, uh, glib about it. But this is actually when I enjoy Worf the most, when he's, you know, he's used sparingly, economically, mm-hmm. and kind of shortened to the point. You know, the brevity is, is Worf's greatest ally Agreed. here, you know, yeah. in, in these scenes. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah, nice little moment with Rom bringing Kira the fruit basket. I mean, that, that was a sort of like an obvious, oh, look, I'm hiding the equipment that I need. But what I love about that scene is Kira changing the game on him there at the last second, changing the, the cover when the two Cardassians are walking by in the corridor and he gets flustered. He doesn't know. He doesn't, oh, wait, I have to improvise here. That that was just a cool little bit. And uh, I do have to say that that was a, a very quick uh, off-screen defiant mission. Um, you know, we're, we're building up this dangerous mission. Uh, Cisco has to see them off. Cut to, well, they came back and it was fine. <laughs> you know that's true very clean yeah mission. yeah and, and and i do get that as i mentioned in the trivia this is a script that changed so many times and the focus changed so many times so something had to go which means an action scene with the defiant is the thing that is going to go but that was a very quick resolution i do like that they didn't focus on say an actual battle scene and let the audience's imagination kind of run wild with it it's like what happened in those 16 hours oh, yeah. Yeah. And then at the same time, though, Cisco's imagination as well, right. because that's why he was right. up and and uh, restless. And it it kind of uh, it adds to his uh, the change in his character, how he's now getting distanced from his own crew and his yeah. ship and not by his own. Yeah, choice, it, it was right? a good choice to focus on Cisco and, and just let the the emotional resonance of that stick with him. But but it was you know they came back and it just for all we know like eh, I went through without a scratch we're fine <laughs> you know. Oh man, I do love Kira smashing the entry pad to Odo's quarters. Her anger coming out physically, uh, it was that was great. And I'm glad that they went there. And and when you think about it, sometimes when when you do something like that, props just you know they fail. And this one, though, it stayed on the wall. And you know what? This would have been the worst place for any changeling to have taken a different form as the door. Ooh, pad. yeah, yes. yeah. That, that, for all we know, that, that could have been the female changeling at one instant. Yeah. 
Sci-Fi 5 is the newest show from Roddenberry Podcasts. Five minutes of sci-fi history in every episode, delivered to you every weekday from the first name in science fiction. Get to know the creators, the background, and even the science behind your favorite stories. Our rotating panel of hosts bring you some of the least known details about some of our best known popular culture. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite shows. Then get ready for a full year of great stories only on Sci-Fi 5. Power of Suggestion Example Imagine if Admiral Ross was Admiral Bob Ross, painting happy little Federation ships on his tactical map. You can't unsee it, can you? So you may think of this as a minor point to the story, or not, and I know that we've hit on it in an older mission log, but there's something so cool and zen uh, about the changeling philosophy uh, that to to be something is to know that thing right that's that that that's deep like that's fascinating one might say mm-hmm. like you could really know what a rock or a tree or a metal sculpture in odo's quarters is by becoming it and and i thought okay th- this is interesting but but really, <laughs> because I, well, let's just take this to like as logical extreme. So a, a mm-hmm. changeling still has its consciousness. Like when, when Odo changes into a chair or a bag or a mouse, he's still Odo and he is still carrying out the, the, the thought processes that he would anyway. Otherwise, Changing into that thing would do him no good. When he changes into a mouse, he's gathering intel about whatever case he's on at the station. That's what we've seen in the past, right? So presumably, even when they become an inanimate object like a rock, what 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 are they what are they experiencing actually? What are they doing? Because a rock, as far as I know, does not experience anything. Uh, a rock is an inanimate, unconscious object. So for a changeling, yeah, you're occupying the physical space as a rock, but you're not actually a rock because you are still a conscious being, which a rock, by definition, definitely is not that thing. So I, mm-hmm. I get the idea. I get where they're going. I just think there are certain limits to this philosophy. John, if I may interject mm-hmm. here, and I, w- I would love to share some wisdom that I learned from um, one Alexander Dane, okay. uh, who played uh, the character of Dr. Lazarus um, from a TV show that we used to enjoy uh, before it was taken off the air called Galaxy Quest. Mm. And he did tell me at one point in time where I could not understand what it was to be something. He's like, well, you really need to take the craft more seriously. Like, you, know, you have to ask, what is the rock's motivations? What does it want? <laughs> Not in all seriousness, uh, I, I, I get. I, you know, I get. I get what you're saying, John. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and it's. I think they're trying to be. You know, a little highbrow here to to show that the the founders or the female changeling and the rest of the changelings in the Great Link are their thinking is beyond what the mortal comprehension of things are. And you know, it's it's 
it's expanding one's consciousness. In this case, they literally are becoming the acid they're dropping, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but see, here's what's so interesting about the problem, the, the limit with their changeling philosophy is that they are being very high-minded about this. Like, just just be the cloud, man. Just be the <laughs> rock. Like, like you, you'll be so rockness and cloudness. You won't be, know what to do with yourself, right? But yeah. – there is a they really have blinders on because this is that could be the ultimate expression of a very starfleet ideal which okay a starfleet's mission is to seek out and explore and to 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 have contact with new life and new civilizations that could actually be what the changelings would do they could if they expanded their minds a little bit actually go live among and get to know other cultures and other civilizations even without the worry of a first contact problem, because they would be able to perfectly blend in with that culture, right? That is the yeah. perfect opportunity to actually learn and understand from another culture. But no, they see anything not like them as a threat. They see anything not like them in the case of the Vorta or the Jem'Hadar just as their pawns to be exploited. So they have this high-minded ideal about learning through being, but they don't actually learn anything that could be afforded to them by being one of these other uh, uh, creatures and other species. And I always thought that that's the reason why they sent out all those foundling changelings was so that they would go out into the far reaches of the unknown, become something that would assimilate, remember that word, assimilate... <laughs> into other cultures and bring back that collective experience into the Great Link itself. That's what I always thought that this was supposed to be. It is, but then what do they do with that information? Those changelings come back, they reabsorb at the Link, and it's just a bunch of people in the Link or a bunch of consciousnesses in the Link going like, well, we got to conquer them one day. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, thanks for bringing that back. Okay, well, we'll, we'll conquer them too. And uh, yeah, just, you know what, dispatch the Jem'Hadar and we'll just wipe them all out. Well, isn't it like information for information's sake? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm trying to find like the, the motivation. What is its motivation, John? Yeah. What do the changelings <laughs> right. want? I know. No, but, I know. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's so hard. And, and there is another, it, there is sort of an interesting idea here, though, that uh, a lot of what's in Odo's quarters are manufactured items. Like he, he mm -hmm. has that metal sculpture and it's got some other sculpture kind of wrapped around it. Interesting that he would become that, but that is a manufactured product. That is a manufactured item that an, an artist dreamed up and created. Again, an inanimate object. So I do wonder when Odo becomes it, what is he learning? Is, he, is it an insight into the artist or just some kind of intellectual exercise about, well, the artist created this, but he can't really be in it, so I'll be in it. I will be the thing. I, there's probably no point to it at all other than like like we were just saying this it, it's got the hint it's got the taste of this high-minded philosophy but really what are they doing with it and i think that that's where maybe a scene like that it's it's too difficult to try and and explain away how deep of a concept that is mm -hmm. but the way that I, I see all the changelings and what they are supposed to be doing out there is to is to take all of this collective information, the interpretation of art or culture or the understanding of war 
or all of these emotions that the you know, that these changelings cannot really comprehend because they're not solid. They don't understand solid motivations. And you take all that and you turn it into this pool, literally and figuratively, that is experienced by a collective. Mm-hmm. And the Great Link is a collective of ideas and information and the way that you can exchange it physically, verbally, non-physically, all of the above. So this is... I see it as the changelings are actually the Borg of this series. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you're onto something there. Uh, that, that line like uh, uh, the drop becomes the ocean, the ocean becomes the drop. That's, mm-hmm. uh, again, sounds cool on paper. sounds very zen, you know, but there is a dark side to that. And, and you just nailed it by talking about the Borg. So in that exchange with Odo and the founder, where he asks her, you haven't told me your name, what would I have used for a name? No individuality. Right. To differentiate yourself from the others. I don't. Again, yeah. differentiating the, uh, or removing individuality. But then it gets very kind of Borg-like as the Borg evolved because he said, but you're a separate being, aren't you? And she says, in a sense. So that's kind of like where, say, Hugh started to come into play. Yeah. Where the Borg started to create the Borg virus that, that, that Picard interjected into the collective, that was the change in the Borg, the, their, their, their way to deviate themselves from the collective you know, in, in total. And like when you return to the link, what will happen to the entity I'm talking to right now? The drop becomes the ocean, yeah. and then the ocean becomes a drop. The individual becomes the, the whole, and the whole becomes the individual. That's the Borg. Yeah. Right? Totally. So you have this and, – and take, for instance, the um, – the no need for individualism. As an individual, your experience can augment the overall intelligence of the collective, very much like the Borg do. And they can be seduced, as is uh, the female changeling is doing to Odo. And I saw that very similar to what happened to Data in first contact by the Borg Queen. Hmm. Because you have the hive, but then you have the hive mind. And in many ways, I think that the female changeling is a representation of the hive mind because we only really see her in some some semblance of power or authority over the rest of the link. Mm -hmm. And she convinces him to, and I have notes on this. She convinces him to give up everything that he holds dear in order to find this inner peace, this clarity, this focus, this unconditional belonging that divorces himself from the harshness and the bitterness and the, the emotional turmoil and the, uh, and the angst of being, or trying to become a solid yeah. or understanding solids. But doesn't it fly in the face of what she's saying? That in order to know a thing, you must become the thing. In order to know a solid, you must become the solid. So mm. if she's saying that that is the reason, then maybe there is some merit to what, you're, to what this whole exercise is about. As opposed to just inanimate objects. Interesting. Yeah, there there would be. Well, they have to see the merit in doing that. But again, it comes down to... What is the point? What do they actually gain from that knowledge? And the the insidious part of this, I mean, it, it really is Star Trek through uh, this experiment with the changelings or the the uh, experiment metaphor of using the Borg. Like there, there's a real fear of the collective consciousness. There is a real fear of losing individuality. And even when given the opportunity to learn, benefit, and grow from something like understanding another 
being or understanding an object in the case of uh, the changelings, they don't actually benefit from it. I agree that maybe in his quarters that using inanimate objects was probably something that, you know, it it skewed the idea. Maybe if there was a life form of some kind, like Odo kept like some type of, well, not like a Tarkalian hawk. We know that he can become a hawk and soar yeah, like see, a hawk it, and understand flight. Yeah, and like that's really interesting. That 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 is a, the, like living even for a short time like that. Where, yeah, okay, what does it feel like to fly? What does it feel like to see a world from this altitude? What does it feel like to interact with other things in the sky? Like, yeah, there is a a valuable education that comes from that. Becoming a sculpture, well, okay, maybe it's this physical exercise. But, you know, again, with all this accumulated knowledge that then gets to be shared with all these other beings in the ocean that is the link— What's the value if nobody's ever learning from it other than just like, well, here's another piece of information. And that's the Borg as well. Just like, okay, well, we assimilated information. It gave us a bit more power. But what's actually the benefit from it? They've stopped being creative. They've stopped. There's certainly nothing altruistic about them, (laughs) you know. Yeah, and this is where one of my biggest problems with this episode comes into play because if you're not learning from this collective experience and you're not even using the experience that you yourself have accumulated by being a solid form, understanding the motivations and the, the, the frailties or the, you know, all of the dynamics of being a solid unrequited love, passion, betrayal, things of that nature, Mm -hmm. then how do you change so quickly from understanding all of this and trying to make sense of your place in the universe by taking this form to where Odo was at the end of this episode by just summarily dismissing it all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that is a really tricky thing about the Odo character here. And obviously, you know, it gets a transition episode to get us from one place to another with Odo and to get us from one place to another with the plot of what's happening in the war. But it does, it raises this really tricky thing with Odo about the ease at which he can be manipulated emotionally. You know, there is a very real psychological phenomenon that we all have, that we have our fast thinking and our long thinking, our slow thinking, and our fast thinking is our emotional reaction to something which is really powerful and tends to stick with us. It's much more difficult to rely on our slow thinking to logic our way through a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. or a set of circumstances and and here's Odo who up until now has had real difficulty with his grasp of love but uh, in a really Spock-like way has been in denial of his own emotions for so long and just focused purely on the job at hand and here it's very easy for him to be manipulated by the female changeling and the promise of the the emotional comfort of the link. And, you know, with this whole many one, one many, this is the face that you will see when I take this form. How do we know when they join the great link that that particular identity or that, that aspect of the great link is the same for all intents and purposes, the same makeup of matter that we saw before. Right. It's like, for instance, I'm going to pour this cup of water into a pool. Mm -hmm. 
Now that drop or droplets of water becomes the pool. Now I scoop out an entirely different cup of water. It's not the same. Right. It's not the same cup of water right. that I had before. Right. It's different in property. I mean, it's similar in properties, but it's different in intent. Yes. Or purpose. Yeah. So I find that, again, it's very highbrow as an idea. I think that when you just have to use it in such a condensed way of uh, narrative, it loses a lot of its complexity. Yeah. Functionally, it becomes a very different question. Yeah. Um, hey, I do want to talk about something else that was an interesting aspect of this episode for me. And I, I know that we'll come back to Odo, of course, because there's a lot of focus on who, uh, what, what he goes through in this one. But this is a really an episode about the plot getting us from point A to point B and into the next episode. And and I do want to focus on one of the plot elements here. And that's that I, I really enjoy war stories that have an espionage angle to them. So we have the B plot here about the Defiant using this acquired intelligence to go snuff out a Dominion sensor array. And of course, we don't see really anything of that story, but we know it's dangerous. Uh, we know that the intel was hard to get. In fact, many Bothans died to bring us this information, I'm sure. Um, or Bullions. Or Bullions, yeah. <laughs> That's the Bullion operation. And now the Defiant has to sneak through enemy lines literally into a thing that is designed to detect them without being caught. That is a fascinating plot line, no matter what, even if we never see it on screen. Meanwhile, on DS9, we've got some inferred intel when Rom figures out what Damar has proposed to do about the minefield. And the resistance needs to act fast to prevent it from happening. But by doing so, will they blow their cover? And, and when I was Watching this the, the first time, I thought, now both of these stories made me think about Bletchley Park. Mm -hmm. And most people will know that that's the place where Alan Turing and thousands of other code breakers work to crack the German codes, like the one generated by the Enigma machine during World War II. It, one of the parts of that story, and others like it where sensitive intelligence is gathered, is that you, you have to make a call about how you act on that intelligence. If you act on everything, you can absolutely give away that you have cracked the code, which means that the enemy will just move to another code that's harder to break. And sometimes that means allowing things to happen, like losing personnel, because there is a strategic advantage in allowing the enemy to feel confidence. That actually, that crossed my mind, not so much with the Defiant. Uh, I mean, that, that was a big honking array that just was out there for anyone to find. <laughs> like, you know, they, they knew about it. They knew where it was and sure. But it really did cross my mind with Rom and Kira that the Cardassians would figure out easily who did this, whether they had been successful or not. And in this case, they were not successful. So go back to the beginning with Odo saying there are limits to what we can do. And and he's right in that initial confrontation for the wrong reasons, mm -hmm. but he's right. And it was interesting that you had this moment because I, I pointed it out with uh, Ram and Kira having this discussion out in the open in Quark's bar, watching what was happening dramatically, it really fit the scene. It really served the purpose. 
So here's Kira and Ram in Quark's uh, patting themselves on the back for what they've done and, and watching the chips fall where they may. And for us, dramatically, that's a fun moment, but it's also dangerous. You know, they have to pick and choose really what happens. That might have been a relatively easy mission for them. Oops, somebody just found this thing that, that Damar wrote. But this one, the time frame is so short. Damar only just came up with the idea of what to do about the minefield. And boom, they're ready to ruin that opportunity the next morning. That is a very good opportunity for them to get caught, even if Odo hadn't screwed things up. And how did they know that 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 was credible information? Right. When you really think about it. It really is just inference. Yeah. Exactly. So they're they're basing all of what they need to do and risking their entire uh, the the entire movement Mm -hmm. because of what Quark has told them. And I'm going to segue a little bit into that because yeah yeah yeah. What I what I love about what Quark did is that he represented a turning point in in I think in in many people when they are faced with a situation of. Do I become the hero or do I live long enough that I will become the villain? Right. Because if Quark doesn't act and he knows that Damar has this master plan to be able to destroy the minefield and the minefield is summarily destroyed and the Jem'Hadar come through and the Dominion win the war, he had that moment to change history. So when Damar actually says this is an idea that's going to change history, I took it both ways. Because what was happening there, much like, say, the link or the exchange of information, is that you had two people sharing information, not knowing where that information will go. He could trust Quark. Quark's a bartender. He's a capitalist. He's a Ferengi. Why would he ever side with the Federation? Right. Why would he ever side with the Bajorans? So DeMar's like, you know, of course, pride goeth before a gull, if you will. And he's just kind of pumping his chest. I'm like, I am going to do something that's going to make me famous, y'all. Right? Right. Give me that, you know, give me that 27 because it is party time and it's because of me. Yeah. But it was so <laughs> devastating, that information, that Quark's like, even I can't hold on to that. Even I can't use that to my advantage. So what does he do? He wants to sell root beer again. Why? Because, and this is where I like, say, the, the, the Star Trek socialist narrative comes back into play. Mm-hmm. Quark, being the ultimate capitalist, looks at the fascism that's going on with the Dominion and the Cardassians. And he says, no, this is just not good for me. This is not good for me at all, whether it's about me making money or me surviving or the rest of the people that are innocent out there that I have actually kind of stuck my head out and protected at one point in time. This isn't what they deserve. I don't really like the Federation, but they're way better than these guys. Right. You know, yeah. the capitalist doesn't necessarily like the socialist idea of the Federation, but they are way better than the fascists. Yeah. That, and yeah, I, I found that an interesting moral and complex scene where Quark just comes in and like, ah, I hate them. I really do. <laughs> they're not good for anybody. <laughs> But at the same time, though, how can you trust it? Because he is way liquored up on 27. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. As, as you would be. And look, uh, in vino veritas, uh, I, I think Cork is probably right on this one. Mm-hmm. 
the movie trailer for the Bolian operation just writes itself. It's Barbers vs. Barbarians. Well, John, we've come to the end of uh, our assessments and all of our ideas. Our ideas were as much one as they were many and then became one. But they all become many again because we need to talk about the morals and meanings and messages and whether or not this episode held up. So let's hear from you. One idea, many ideas. But (laughs) how did it work for you? So, I, you know, it's a little bit unfair, uh, as we pointed out, and you just did a, a week or two ago, that from a production standpoint, Star Trek here is just a well-oiled machine. And the production value, the talents of the cast and crew, they are on full display. It holds up in that regard. But at the same time, you can tell that this is an episode that probably developed in a slightly more difficult way than than some of the others that just just feel solid from beginning to end so as an episode is a little harder to say that it uh, you know what aspect of it holds up it holds up functionally in that it fits right in the middle of a long arc and it serves as a transition piece it's a necessary episode for plot and character development But it's not here to wrap anything up. It's not here to leave us with much other than questioning the motivations of one of our main characters. And not that that is a bad thing to question that and to kind of leave you with that cliffhanger of, oh, what what is going on with Odo? But really, that's that's what we get here. We we just took an hour, you know, a 45-minute episode to do just that. And maybe in retrospect, those are plot elements that could have been woven into something else. Uh, Hard to say. Uh, But this is an odd one because of all of those reasons. There are things that I like here. Um, I really like seeing that change in Quark. Uh, Great recap from you about that, you know, the the root beer moment (laughs) for Quark. I really like that we're seeing some depth to Damar. You know, this is a character that got introduced with, I think, literally just one line in an episode. And Casey Biggs wasn't too thrilled with that. And he was like, no, 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 just, just hang on. We'll, we'll bring Damar yeah. back. And then wait for it. Yeah, here we are a season <laughs> later and like, oh, wow, they're really giving him some interesting stuff to play with. There really mm-hmm. is some personality conflict and difficulty with with even the structure that he's in. So I love planting the seeds for that. And I really like seeing that there is a struggle between Odo and Kira and the the complication of his pull back into the link. Odo's usually the smartest guy in the room, uh, maybe not well emotionally developed, but definitely book smart. He is unwaveringly focused and loyal, but now he is being emotionally compromised and manipulated in these really difficult ways by the female changeling. But right now, these are just teases for us to see where they go. For better and for worse, this is where DS9 is like a soap opera. Like here We're going to do an episode where we just throw out all these weird character moments and, and people changing a bit, and we'll see where it leads us. So mm-hmm. it, it works 
functionally, it holds up functionally. I can't recommend this episode to just say like, oh yeah, go watch this one. This will explain to you uh, the morals, meanings, messages, or the best of what DS9 is about. It really doesn't do that. It was still enjoyable, but I think it's only enjoyable within context. Uh, how about you, Norman? That's a fair thing to say, John. And I, I, I do agree that one of the problems with this episode is that you can feel that it's transitional. You can feel mm-hmm. that it is a, for all intents and purposes, this is, say, like the two towers in between the Fellowship of the Ring and Return of the King, you know, or any type of right. any type of middle movie. You have transitional moments that leave you cliffhanging. And even though this doesn't for me, you can't I can I can agree with the argument that that could be made there. But. Overall, though, the most frustrating part for me, because I think that the majority of this episode is actually really quite good, it's Odo's turn at the end. It's too polarizing. Yeah. It's too unearned for me. Yeah. When, when you really think about what Kira's asking him at the end, he essentially takes everything that is important to him and just divorces himself from that because that's it. Just because. Because... This is not this is not in any way relative to me at all. How mm. do you come to that moment so quickly? Is the link that powerful? And I'll get to that later on in in uh, the morals meetings and messages, but there has to be something in between that decision and the aspect of the link. There has to be something more earned about yeah. that or else it's just how do we explain away Odo doing this in the next couple episodes because the link changed him. Right. Well, I guess that's okay then. I know we don't swallow it like we're Star Trek fans. We don't swallow <laughs> it wholesale like that. We need to know, even if it's not detailed in its explanation, we need to know that there's more motivation behind it than just because. Right. Because the writers say so. Because that is so transparent when, a, when something like that happens because it's so quick as a, as a resolution. And that's that's where the whole episode kind of goes off track for me because even if it is a transitional episode, even if it is the middle of a story, even those have to be encapsulated with some sort of specific beginning, middle, and end. Cisco had it. You know, Cisco started off, I'm going to have a mission to the Argola sector. Mm-hmm. I've, my, I've, I've been transitioned into this management position. And now I'm okay with that because Dax and the Defiant came back. I've been able to let that go, to give her that independence. Right. And to make me feel better about it. That's a story. It's not at the end. He's like, oh, no, fine. still mine. I'm going to take it back no matter yeah. what. Like, yeah. That's not there. No. Yeah. There was a mini arc that happened to Cisco, and it was believable. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Matt, you're like a, yeah. you're like a major carrier. You're just going to get up from your desk and smash a comms panel on a wall. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's where this episode is left, Norman. No, I, I get it. I get it. I, I think the, uh, the Cisco story as small as it is in comparison with the rest of this show, it is more believable and, and earned. I, I think that that's the right word for it. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, and I do realize that obviously we, we've got more to go. We've got longer uh, episodes to explore here, more to explore with Odo, but this is just an odd one. It really is strange. And, and you wonder in retrospect, again, do you take something like this and the previous two, do you merge some of these together so we really feel like we got there in a reasonable way? Now, because this is a transitional episode and it is plot heavy, 
when we talk about morals, meanings, messages, I, I, for me, there wasn't a whole lot to land on. The, the plot pieces, Cisco getting new orders, the Defiant away on a mission that we never see. Even Worf is just, he's on a view screen for like a minute <laughs> that we, we address, and that's fine. I don't think there is, there's definitely not a you see Timmy moment here, uh, but there are some, <laughs> there are some themes. There are themes within the show. And for me, I, I, you know, maybe one of those themes is communication. We have all these threads of different kinds of communication happening and information getting shared back and forth. So Damar keeping notes on his pad uh, that need to stay secret from the Jem'Hadar, but then that can be exploited uh, to great effect by by Kira and Rom. So, you know, maybe there's a lesson there to not write down your thoughts. Maybe those should be shared uh, in secret and in person uh, when you know that they can't possibly be usurped by someone else. Quark communicating, he loosens up when he gets drunk, and that's only because he got Damar to loosen up by getting him drunk too. There is an interesting, as I said before, in Vino Veritas moment for both of them. Um, so that was another kind of communication bubbling up to the top because they actually had moments of clarity and, uh, and emotional honesty there. And then you have the link which is this ill-defined, weird, but deep and intimate kind of communication that isn't so much about information as it is about focus, clarity, and an emotional calm or emotional ease, uh, at least as far as Odo is concerned here. And it can be manipulated by somebody like the female changeling here. So you wonder, even within The Great Link, it may all sound good on paper, but it's still it, there is still an implied hierarchy, even within all of this feel yes. good. We're yes. all the same. We're all drops in the ocean. There is still something here that through the very language is being used to manipulate those around her. Odo isn't communicating with his team, but he is communicating in this other weird, natural way for him with someone like him. And then he can't or won't share that back with his fellow crew. It, it, it has severely compromised his relationship with Kira. So I, I, again, I don't think there is a thing we can specifically learn from that, like in a, in a practical takeaway, but it was interesting to see all of these threads of just people talking, sharing information and how that gets spread and how that gets uh, manipulated and changed over the course of an episode like this. Uh, how about you, good sir? Well, I love how you explained that, you know, there is a pecking order to the link, even though explained earlier in the episode that there isn't supposed to be a pecking order to the link. Right. 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 Uh, well, and sort of like going back to the Borg, it's like, do we really need a Borg queen? Well, she's there. <laughs> so exactly. you can say that you're equal as much as you want. You're just all cogs in a machine, but there's still a hierarchy. There, there's still someone above you. There's still a queen to the anti-hive. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's a, you know, maybe that's a concession that we have to make because you have to, you know, vilify a character mm -hmm. so that right. you, you can pour your angst and, you know, and, and your emotional connection to the episode through, you know, however you feel based on that character. But it also, 
I'm going to digress for a second. It also leads to the question, every single time this female changeling, uh, you know, is introduced, is it the same female changeling mm. or is it another representation of the link and the link's motivations? Ooh, it's, it's an extension yeah. of the link. They're yeah. all extensions of the link. So that's something to be discussed maybe later on. You know, send us the emails. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. But if I had to find uh, an actual meaning in this episode, I think it's really uh, – let's take a look at what we said before. This episode is transitional. It is, it's a vehicle to, to change from one tone to another. So I believe this episode is about change, uh, looking at the aspect of change in certain characters, uh, trying to embrace the eternal forward momentum of change. You know, for better or worse, everything moves forward. You either adapt to it or you don't. You either accept it or you don't. But what happens when you accept that change for yourself and what you are anxious about is whether or not the people around you that you care about accept you accepting change? Hmm. And that's where I kind of see a little bit of what's going on here. How do you react when your identity is forced to change sexually, politically, socially? There will be change in everyone's lives. It's how we believe people are going to react to those changes influence whether or not we're going to accept that change within ourselves. Adapting to change and how one reacts is a fundamental shift in our own personal core and how we see ourselves and perceive ourselves in the outside world. Now, let's take a look at Cisco, for example. His change is actually a benefit and a curse. It's the change of promotion. He is so Mm -hmm. entrenched with his people that... Having to come uh, to terms with being a manager of those people, the people that he cares about, the people that look to him for decisions on a daily basis. How do you distance yourself from that? How do you become someone who manages this cadre of those he trained versus this larger force of the Federation and these wings, these attachments of the military where he doesn't know these people and he he doesn't empathize with them? He doesn't hear their stories. He doesn't know their history. He's just moving chess pieces on a board now. Right. But that's not who he was. That's not who he was when he started on the station. And, and speaking of who started on the station, let's talk about Odo, because Odo started on the station in a certain way. The Cardassians found him. Dr. Mora changed him. The five years after Cisco came on board, that changed him. Kira changed him. Everyone changed him. And he's accepting that change up to a point, which... The emotional trauma of Kira won't allow him to move forward, but all of a sudden, someone comes into his life that accepts his change unconditionally, and that's the female changeling. They are the same kind. Whatever you do will never offend me. I've forgiven you. We are your people. Why wouldn't he be anxious about exposing his entirety of his being to her? There's no fear there. There's no judgment, right? And then finally, my favorite character right now, Damar. Yeah. And you may not, and people may not see this as, as clearly, but because we focused on what he was doing with Quark and changing that information, I think that that scene shows how, where you could take him as kind of like a, a footman or an underling to Dukat. He has his own motivations. He has his own priorities. He wants to be a gull. He wants to be in charge. He wants power. He wants authority. But he can't get past Dakot because Dakot is so 
all-encompassing of everything around him, micromanaging everyone's expectations, <laughs> the way that he throws around, you know, all of these platitudes and grovels and spins. Yeah. But I think DeMar's like, you are a peacock. You are a popinjay, as Admiral Fox was yes. called by Scotty. Yes. You know, you are just chuffed up larger personality that's not getting what needs done. Yeah. And I find him so fascinating to watch. I can't wait to see where Casey Biggs takes him in the future. I so look forward to that, too. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. And you know what? Give us a look over there. Join us at all levels. We have uh, monthly live hangouts. And uh, Norman, we've absolutely had a blast there getting to know everybody a bit personally in a really kind of casual, relaxed chat atmosphere. I mean, as we as a world population are still you know, suffering from the effects of the lockdown and COVID, one of the things that our Patreon listeners have have uh, graciously said about our meetings is that it's helping them get through being disconnected with the world and becoming uh, this this community of fans that can just be with each other to like one or many. <laughs> said perfectly. So give us a look again over there at patreon.com slash mission log. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, favor the bold. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. So, just like that, O'Brien has new pants, and you thought the Defiant having entire battles off screen was bad. transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.